1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read 15 verses, verse 7 to 21 from 1 John chapter 4. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. John writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Verse 14, furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God, whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. God is love. He is agape love, which is sacrificial, unconditional love that is transitional. It's not just a sappy love that accepts us like we are and leaves us that way in our sin, but his love is such an influence on our life that it begins to change us and make us more loving. You can't help but give it away when you realize how much he loves you. We're in a series of talking about knowing God, and today we're focusing on knowing God in community or knowing God corporately. We all know or should know that God loves us individually, and we'll review that in a moment. God loves us as persons, but he also loves us as a people. He relates to me and you as individuals, but he relates to us as his people. As a parent, maybe you can understand this. You love each of your children, but you also love all of your children. And so it is with God. He relates to us personally, individually, 
and corporately as his community of redeemed people. The cross is two pieces, vertical and horizontal. The vertical reminds me of that relationship I have with him. George Jones sang the song, Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. Hopefully he had something going with the Lord because he's passed on to the other side. The cross also had the horizontal aspect. Just as Jesus hung between heaven and earth with his arms outstretched to pay for the sins that separated us from God and man, but also that separated us from one another. So if our sins that have separated us from God has been removed, we now have communion with God. Our sins that have separated us from one another has now been redeemed so that we can have communion with one another. And so it is that when we relate to God individually, we're limited. But when we relate to God corporately, our vision of him grows. Our appreciation of him expands because he is so awesome. It takes more than one person to reveal him or reflect him to the world. Like a beautiful diamond is a diamond because of its many facets the beauty is reflected. A great Thanksgiving dinner isn't because of the great cranberry sauce, because of all the ingredients. A great marriage isn't reflected in just one aspect of the marriage. You know, one day a year, it's great, so it's a great marriage. No, it's every day. It's the combination of flavors in life that make it what it is. In this room are dozens of testimonies. God saved us from sin. God saved us out of sin. God delivered us from addiction. God brought us through addiction. God kept us from jail. God brought us out of jail. And when we hear one another's story, our understanding of God just becomes illuminated. It's awesome. We know him that much more. So if your presence in a church this morning is an odd thing for you, let it become part of your normal routine. Maybe you do have communion with God out on the fishing boat or out in the, in the hunting cabin. Great, but stop ripping us off. We need you in our life, and you need us. One of life's greatest opportunities is to know God and to know him in community. A little review. Knowing God is entrusted to us personally. Jeremiah prophesied, and this was echoed also in the book of Hebrews, that the day would come when no man shall teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. It would be redundant to tell someone who knows the Lord to know the Lord. It's redundant to tell a child, know your daddy or know your mommy. They know their parents. It should be redundant for someone to tell us, get to know the Lord. We should be growing in our knowledge of him. And so it is when we assemble together we're not to forsake this assembling together of ourselves the more often as you see the day approaching. Exhorting one another daily. This is a biblical thing. Knowing him personally as well as corporately. Knowing him is experienced in prayer. A couple of weeks ago, Bob Lanning ably delivered to us a sermon on knowing God through the avenue of prayer. And he shared how that in his missions work in India, he has people who have no concept of the truth of God, no concept of who Jesus is, praying 
to God in the name of Jesus for one another and God answering their prayers and revealing himself to them. How many times have you heard the story of people crying out to God saying, God, if you're real, I need your help. And he answers that prayer and begins to reveal himself. Knowing God is enhanced in Scripture. We shared last week that through the Scripture we learn a lot of things about God in Scripture. And this is a blessing because God is invisible and he chose to reveal himself in the Scriptures. This is a blessing because if he was visible, we wouldn't be able to see anything else. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. So if we could see God's presence, we'd be blind, right? It happened one time in the dedication of the temple. God manifested his presence, and nobody could see. So God's invisibility is a blessing, but he reveals himself to us through his word. Now, in his word, we see that he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's all-wise, He's all-powerful. We see that he is triune. He's Father, Word, who became flesh, and Spirit. We see that he's the Most High God, that there is no other God beside him. We also saw through the Scripture he hates idolatry. He doesn't want any other gods before him. The great command is to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is he an egomaniac? No, he's just telling us the truth. If we love other gods, it's not good for us. They're lies. They're bogus. He also said not to make images of anything in heaven, images of him, and use those things for worship. Don't be bowing down to images. Don't make images of of things in heaven and bow down to them. Why? Isn't artwork a beautiful thing? Yeah, I've got... Pictures of Jesus in my office, pictures of Jesus at home. They're not true pictures of who he is, but they point to different aspects of his character and events in history as well as events in the future. They're encouraging, but they are not instruments of worship. And those that use those things as instruments of worship defend their position as this. They say, well, these images or these icons are like windows. They help our worship. They help us worship the invisible God. And so, like a window helps us see what is outside, these icons and statues help us see the invisible God and help us focus our faith and help us worship. But the Lord, in giving the command to not use images for such things, he says these words, he says, I am your God. So I gave an illustration last week. I had a picture of my wife up here. And last week was her birthday. And I said, instead of taking her to celebrate her birthday, I'm going to take an image of her with me, and she can feel the love through the window. And I'll save money in the process. The greatest artist in the world cannot do God justice in drawing him, carving him, molding him, or sculpturing him. He is so far superior to our greatest efforts that those things will cloud our vision of who he is. That's why he's revealed himself to us through his word and we relate to him through faith. Because our imaginations don't do justice. You wind up worshiping something that is not the real deal. Anyway, that was last Sunday. If you weren't here, get the tape. 
Knowing him is entered into with praise. We encounter his presence when we worship him. Psalm 100 tells us to come before his presence with singing. Verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So we can get to know him more. And this is possible not just for the most holy person in the world. Somebody walking in off the street can encounter the presence of God as we worship. Sitting right over here in this area, years ago, we hadn't been in this building very long, a guy fresh out of jail encountered the presence of God. And this is what he described. And how are you going to make an image of this? He said, while we were singing, I had my hands raised, and I became very aware of something about two feet above me, the size of Delaware came into the room. (laughs) Never heard a description like that. (laughs) Another guy worshipped with us 12 years ago, has visited us a time or two recently, shared 12 years ago, he's, he's an engineer type guy, he's not given to imagining things, had a vision of heaven, and there's Jesus by the throne, full of joy, laugh, laughter, vitality, and energetic, and move quickly. When do you see Jesus like that in the movies? None of us know what he's really like, but when he gives you a revelation or gives you a vision, it's awesome. Enjoy it. But be careful in using your imagination in worship. Use the scriptures. It creates a more accurate vision of who he is. Knowing God is extended to us throughout eternity. Jesus in his prayer in John 17, we'll look at a little more depth later on. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you. He's praying to his Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ himself, whom you have sent. What is the purpose of eternal life? Knowing God. Knowing him. And it starts now. And knowing him is enjoyed the most corporately. Oh, I've had some awesome times with the Lord individually. But it's generally it was when I was in the, in the dumps or in depression or something horrible. And the Lord comforted me in my despair. He is near to those who are brokenhearted. Amen? But thank God that's not the norm. The norm is I gather together with his people, and where two or three are gathered together, he promised to be in their midst, Matthew 18, 20. Yesterday I dove into Matthew 18, and I just want to share with you the context of this promise. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. Matthew 18 starts out in verse 1 with the disciples coming to him, Asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? This is competition. This is disunity, right? And he humbles them by gathering a child and telling them, a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We are to esteem children as greater than ourselves and also to learn from them because a child will forgive upon command. A child will make friends like that. A child needs protection because they're so forgiving and so loving. But at the same time, they have qualities that we can learn from. And this is, this is a reflection of the value of the kingdom. And then he warns of offenses and not hurting children 
And he says, if anything causes you to sin or offend, get rid of it. Then he tells a parable of the lost sheep. Someone had a hundred sheep, one disappeared. He leaves a 99 and goes and finds the one to restore it to his flock. Community is important. One person is important for the life of the community. He ends the chapter with the parable of the unforgiving servant. One servant was forgiven a great debt who refused to forgive another servant of a smaller debt. And that first servant who was forgiven a great debt lost the blessing of forgiveness in his life because of his refusal to forgive. So he's talking about community in these verses. But right in the middle of it, he talks about if someone has sinned against you, you go to that person and confront them. And if it doesn't work, then you take someone with you. You don't just let it ride, but you deal with offenses. talks about how to deal with offenses. And then verse 18, he's still talking about this. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, in your spiritual warfare textbooks, they'll quote that verse and talk about binding the devil and loosing heaven and all this stuff. But the context of the promise is heaven relates to us at the level of our relating to one another. And if we're all bound up, our prayers are hindered. If a husband doesn't dwell with his wife in an understanding manner, his prayers are hindered. So heaven relates to us corporately. It's real simple. It's not, I've loosed the wrong demons or I've bound up the wrong spirits or I need to bind up some more spirits. No, you read it. It's right there in Matthew 18. It's talking about relationships and dealing with offenses. And then comes this next promise that we love to quote. Verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This agreement is more than prayer. This agreement is learning to live in unity. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. This is at the heart of Matthew 18. Christ wants to be in our midst. So it's important that we deal with our relationship issues. So that being said, if I've offended anyone, please let me know. Well, you should know. Well, you got me on a pedestal because I am clueless. I need help. Please come and confront me. And if you're chicken, I give you permission to bring someone with you. And skip the first part of Matthew 18. Don't do that to other people, but I give you permission to do it to me. Because I want to be right. Because I want to know God. And I want you to know God. And I want us to know God. I want God to be made known through us. This is life's greatest opportunity. I don't want heaven to be bound up in here. And not in this building, but in our, in our community. I want heaven to be loosed so that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are some hindrances. We're zeroing in. We move from the shotgun to the rifle. Hindrances to knowing God together. We cannot know God if we do not love First John 4, 8, he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Why did he write God is love? Because you don't know God if you don't love. Are we trying to condemn people? No, we're just recognizing the facts. 
I'm not loving people like I should. I must not love God. So I go to Him and get my heart right before Him. We cannot love Him if we hate anyone. 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Who is your brother? Somebody who is made in God's image. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Christ was asked what the great command was, and he said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They asked him, what's the great command? What's the first command? He said that, but he didn't stop there. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God, you will love your neighbor. It's connected. If you love your neighbor, you will love God. Agape love. Unconditional. Sacrificial. Laying down your life for others. Kind of love. We cannot bless God. You know, we express our love to God by blessing Him. We cannot worship Him. We cannot express our love to Him. We cannot relate to Him if we won't relate to others, if we curse others. Talking about our tongue in James chapter 3. With it, with our tongue or our mouths, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. Oh, hallelujah, heavenly Father, you stupid idiot. That's not cussing. I don't cuss people. I don't use four-letter words against people, so that verse isn't for me. Well, is calling someone a stupid idiot blessing them? No, it's actually cursing them. You cuss them. With it, we bless our God and Father. With it, we curse men who have been made in the image or the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. One day I got an epiphany when I realized God loves a person I can't stand just as much as he loves me. Yes, but they're weird. Well, I got news for you. Everybody's weird. We cannot know him if we minimize Jesus. Now here I am going to meddling. But I can't leave Jesus alone in this thing. It's nothing new. It's been going on for centuries, the minimization of Jesus. That was what the cross was about. Try to minimize him, kill his influence. But I see it happening in our day. The Islamic world wants to make him just a prophet, not the Son of God. But even in the Christian world, some are so overemphasizing the Jewish roots of the faith and elevating the Jewish feast days that they're minimizing Jesus when he's the fulfillment of them taking us back into the Old Covenant. And others are so New Covenant, overemphasizing the doctrines of grace, they're putting everything Jesus said in the Old Testament. Even even heard one preacher say, you've got to be careful. If Jesus said it, you've got to be really careful with it. Oh, really? Minimizing Jesus. Even in this political season, what Jesus had to say outranks what anybody else has to say. What is written of his word outranks any other words that are wonderful that are written down in the realm of government. 
I'm not saying we shirk our responsibility. I'm not saying we don't speak up. But I'm saying we keep Jesus in his rightful place in our life if we want to continue knowing him and growing in him. 1 John 5.20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Knowing God in community. Let's pray. Lord, help us to know you individually, but also to know you corporately. Help us to do more than just come to church, to do more than just be religious or do the Sunday thing or do the God thing, but Lord, give us a desire to get to know you and to see assembling with other believers as an opportunity. that is a wonderful opportunity. On the road of getting to know you, we do it with each other. In Jesus' name, Lord, give us a voice to share the things you're showing us about yourselves with each other. Amen. In John 17, at the Last Supper, prior to going over the Brook Kidron to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray some more and be betrayed, John records his prayer, prayed at John 17. And in that prayer, he prayed for his followers, he prayed for their unity, and he prayed for us. He prayed for those who would believe in him through the words of his followers. And he prayed that we would be one as he is one. And so I'm going to show a video clip from the movie, The Gospel of John, where Christ is praying. It's all of John 17, word for word, in the TEV version. Praying for us. Receive his words, because this is still his will for us. Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that the Son may give glory to you. For you gave him authority over all people, so that he might give eternal life to all those you gave him. And eternal life means to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have shown your glory on earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Father, give me glory in your presence now, the same glory I had with you before the world was made. I have made you known to those you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me. They have obeyed your word, and now they know that everything you gave me comes from you. I gave them the message that you gave me, and they received it. They know that it is true that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you gave me, for they belong to you. All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. And my glory is shown through them. And now I am coming to you. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Holy Father, keep them safe by the power of your name. The name you gave me. So that they may be one. Just as you and I are one. 
While I was with them, I kept them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I protected them, and not one of them was lost, except the man who was bound to be lost, so that the scripture might come true. And now I am coming to you, and I say these things in the world, so that they may have my joy in their hearts in all its fullness. I gave them your message, and the world hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. But I do not ask you to take them out of the world. But I do ask you to keep them safe from the evil one. Just as I do not belong to the world, they do not belong to the world. Dedicate them to yourself by means of the truth. Your word is truth. I sent them into the world just as you sent me into the world. And for their sake, I dedicate myself to you in order that they too may be truly dedicated to you. I pray not only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their message. I pray that they may all be one. Father, may they be in us, just as you were in me and I am in you. May they be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. I gave them the same glory you gave me, so that they may be one just as you and I are one. I and them and you and me. So that they may be completely one, in order that the world may know that you sent me, and that you love them as you love me. Father, you have given them to me, and I want them to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me. For you loved me before the world was made. Righteous Father. The world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you sent me. I made you known to them, and I will continue to do so, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and so that I also may be in them. Why did he pray such a prayer? Because we need it. Short time later, one of the very guys he prayed for betrayed him. A few hours later, the people he was praying for all abandoned him. One was even cursing and denying that he even knew him. Disunity galore. In your efforts to walk in unity with others, people will hurt you. It is true. Take that into account. Some people will just want to be divisive. They'll just want to be on the attack. Don't retaliate. Do what I call make room for Jesus in the relationship. And he is the great reconciler, is able to do things that we can't do to bring unity. But the Lord lead and guide you in all of your relationships where if you're in a season of making room for Jesus, that he gives you grace to endure. But if that season is up, that he lets you know it's time to extend an olive branch. Lord, let reconciliation be our middle name in Jesus' name. Bless and keep your people. Cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them your peace, the peace that comes from victory, the peace that comes when people lay their weapons down and let their bygones be bygones and embrace one another in love. 
Help us, Lord, to get the logs out of our eyes so that we can help one another get the specks out of our eyes. In Jesus' name, bless your people. Lord, may this Thanksgiving be one of substance, more than just the richness of good food, but the richness of true thankfulness. Not just thanksgiving as a holiday, but thankfulness as a reality in everyone's hearts. Lord, let there be miracles in families this week. Make us effective witnesses for you this holiday season like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Sitting around you are people you may not know very well. Greet them and share the love of the Lord with them. Ask them if they need some prayer and pray with them. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go get them, tigers.